we need Sunday morning to get realigned to what's important when we've been tainted by the world throughout the week. We need this time. We need this fellowship. We need this worship. And I'm so thankful to God for Joel and Jonathan and the worship team today. If you've been lifted up, please give it up for them. Thank you. It's a great opportunity for me to be up here to bring the message today, but every time that I step up here, I always feel like it's kind of a downer after a worship service like that. (laughs) So I'm going to do my best. Thankfully, God is on his throne, and he can lift us up. My name is Tyler Reimchels. I have the privilege of being one of the elders here at Strong Tower, and I found out I was going to be giving the message today about 10 days ago. Pastor D, are you here? Where's Pastor D? He and I did not talk about our messages, but I really think that my message today is actually a continuation of his message last week, and that became clear today. So if I could have the first slide. Um, In addition to being a physician in my day job, I'm also a teacher, and so I like PowerPoint slides, not because I think they help teaching, they can actually distract from it, but one of the good things is that if you're looking at a slide, you don't have to see me on that big screen up there. So uh, I'm going to start... Um, by reading from Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And as you know, if you worship here regularly, we are in a series that Pastor Chris started called Be Strong. And so we're going to continue that series. And the first message, the first passage I want to read to you is from Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now what I was going to say was that therefore is there... For a way of summarizing the first 11 chapters of Romans, but I think when Paul wrote this, he didn't know it. But it's also there because God knew on October 25th, 2015, the worship service in this building would lead us to a therefore. What God has done in this room already today, he's reminded us of his sacrifice for us. We were not worthy because of what we did. We become worthy because of what he did for us. He laid his life down for us. He makes our life worthy, and because of that, he wants us to be a living sacrifice, given up for him. When we surrender, when we wave the white flag, and we are there at the bottom of the cross sacrificing for him, he wants us to have an aroma, an essence. So if you could show me this slide again, that same slide in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly beloved children... And live a life of love just as Christ loved us, which we just sang about, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So while we're at the foot of the cross, giving it up for God, while we are sacrificing as a living human being on a daily basis to do his will, there should be a fragrance, an aroma that's associated with that sacrifice. It says that all throughout the Old Testament, when God told his people to sacrifice for their sins, they were also supposed to burn incense. So if I could see the next slide, I'm going to just give you a few examples of that. In Exodus 30, verses 34 through 36, he said, Then the Lord said to Moses, this is in the context of explaining what the sacrifices, what the altar should look like, all of the different furniture pieces. But there was also supposed to be a place to burn incense. That was an essential part of worship an essential part of the sacrifice. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, take fragrant spices, gum resin, anica, and galbanum. You have no idea if I just said those right, but nonetheless. And pure frankincense, all in equal amounts, and make a fragrant blend of the incense, the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. Our worship to him, our sacrifice on a continual basis, on a day-to-day basis, should be salted as a preservative, pure, holy, and sacred. Grind some of it to powder and place it in the front of the testimony in the tent of meeting where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. If you could go to the next slide, these are some of the verses, just a few, where it says, as they were burning the sacrifices, there was an aroma pleasing to the Lord, an aroma pleasing to the Lord, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. There are more than 40 references to an aroma pleasing to the Lord as we sacrifice and as we surrender. And so I could read all of them. I won't. Trust me, they're there. So my challenge for you today is that I want you to be strong in your odor. (laughs) Some of you are checking your emails, checking the time. So let me begin by talking a little bit about our sense of smell. I always have to have just a little bit of biology in each one of these. So on the next slide, um, you can just show all those. It turns out when we sense a smell, we make an association very quickly. The reason for that, very briefly, is that the impulses, the chemicals, when they enter our nose, go through a couple of nerves, and it goes right directly to the brain. It bypasses a part of the brain called the thalamus, which is a processing relay station. Sense of smell, unlike the sense of vision or hearing or touch, can bypass the thalamus, and we make these associations very quickly. You know that when you smell something and you are taken immediately back to your grandmother's kitchen many years ago. So think about this as you think about the odor that you are leaving and the associations that people may make very quickly. Memories are also very closely linked to our sense of smell. I just gave you the example of the grandmother's cooking. So you... Think of memories in exquisite detail by the simple scent very quickly. Scents also are associated with feelings, emotions, and passions. And the reason for that is that the part of our brain that processes the sense of smell is right beside the limbic system and the amygdala that process emotions and memories. It happens very quickly. So in the Song of Solomon, there's a lot of phrases, a lot of verses rather, about the bride and her perfume and how it smelled. That was engendering feelings for the writer. Sometimes when I walk in our bedroom and there's a scented candle, it's generating some feelings. (laughs) May not finish my email tonight. We spend a lot of money on perfumes, colognes, air fresheners, mouthwash. It's a huge industry, right? It also generates uh, strong desires like hunger. Let me, I've got to fold my papers here. So I was, had the opportunity about a decade ago to be in Ethiopia, and we were at a restaurant in Ethiopia one evening. 
They have amazing food in Ethiopia, as un, un, um, interesting as that sounds. They have absolutely amazing food. So we had just finished the meal, and I love coffee. And so they had coffee beans on this tray that was smoking, and they brought it through the restaurant just like this, and you could smell these fumes of coffee. And then about two minutes later, they said, would you like to have dessert now? Yes, we want to have dessert now. We know that the sense of smell changes how we purchase things, how we view things. It generates hunger in us, right? You walk in the kitchen and you smell this freshly baked bread or apple cider, and it generates hunger. It's a strong desire. So I'm going someplace in a while. Think about all the spiritual relevance to all of this, right? The last thing is, and this is very interesting, we have something called nose blindness, We can't smell our own perfume. We can't smell our own cologne. We can't smell our own breath, which is really weird because what makes your breath smell is right in here, and all it has to do is go right up to your nasal passages, but you can't smell it, and so sometimes I'm sitting by Teresa, and here's a piece of gum. I'm like, sorry, right? We can't sense our own smell. So with all that in mind, it happens quickly. It brings back memories. It fills us with hunger and emotions and passion, and we can't sense our own smell, the next slide is, what does it mean for us to create a strong odor for God? And believe it or not, I could really find passages for this. The first one is, we should be in practice of prayer. Our prayers are incense. It says it. In Revelation 5, verse 8, And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And then they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men from God, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Just notice that last phrase. You purchase men from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, right? The first thing we do to have a strong odor for God is we need to be a praying people. And where I'm going to go for the next several slides, you will not be able to get there if you don't start with prayer. And let me just say it right now that these slides, these messages from these passages speak loudest to me. Because I have not been consistent in my prayer life. And that means that I have not had a strong order for God. But if we don't start there, we can't move forward. So if you're not praying, develop that discipline and ask God for it. The next one, after we have a practice of prayer, is sacrificial giving. This is also biblical. In Philippians chapter 4, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, this is the Apostle Paul, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. We come to you every week asking for you to give financially again and again, and this church did it for Paul. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credit to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. You sacrifice financially and that sends up an aroma that is fragrant to God while blessing Apostle Paul. That's how you be a strong odor for God. Next. Next. 
In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We just sang about that. And he wants us to do that. Imitate God by loving. So I spent some time yesterday going through the New Testament, trying to figure out if I wanted to imitate Christ, what would that look like? Christ fellowshiped and ate with sinners. He touched sinners, and sinners touched him. He served sinners. He fed them. He spent time with them. He was with them. We send up a fragrant odor when we spend time with sinners. We're not tainted by their sin. They are impacted by our odor. Are you spending time with sinners? Next. My favorite verse, I've talked about this before, and I'm going to say it again. Micah 6.8 says, He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? What does it mean to be a good Christian? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And there's a passage that relates to this. This balance of justice and speaking truth and loving mercy and forgiving people. We're tempted so many times that when we forgive, maybe I'm not holding up the truth of God. But instead, you're showing the love of God because he forgave us when he took Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. But you can't achieve any of this unless you're humble. And the passage that relates to this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. But thanks be to God who always leads us in a triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him, the fragrance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through God, we can have that fragrance. We can be a strong odor for God. How do we do it? For we are to God the aroma of Christ. Do you smell like Christ in your day-to-day life? We are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. They smell us. What do they smell? If they are being saved to the one we are, the smell of death. I'm sorry. For we have this, uh, verse 15. We are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Verse 16. To the one we are, the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. To those who are being saved, we smell like life. Because we have salvation and hope, and this life is not all we have. And to those who are perishing, we smell like death, just like the law set a boundary. And it said, you cannot cross this. And if you do, you will inherit eternal damnation. We need to smell like both sides. We need to act justly, and we need to love mercy. And Paul knew this was going to be hard because the very last sentence of that verse said, who is equal to such a task? That's called walking humbly. We are challenged to do it, and we cannot do it on our own. I am so thankful I'm part of a church that leads us to the point that says, this is the standard of what it means to be an effective Christian, to have a strong odor for God, and you can't get there on your own. But in this community, you will experience God, and he will help you achieve that. So, how is your smell? I have a question. When you go to the doctor's office, do you smell the doctor's cologne or perfume? 
you don't, because we don't wear perfume or cologne. It makes people sick. So we live in a, we work, rather. Well, I do live there, it seems like. Uh, <laughs> we work in a scent-free zone. A lot of workplaces now are scent-free because odors can make people sick. So my question to you is, are you a scent-free Christian? Do you lack prayer in your life? Are you failing to sacrifice to God of your money and your time? Are you spending time in relationships with other people, with unbelievers? Name the last time you devoted some time to getting to know an unbeliever because you wanted to develop a relationship, not because you wanted to judge them or preach to them. Are you walking humbly, or do you have a stench of pride and conceit of self-righteousness? Are you acting with justice toward all, or do you feel reprisals for speaking out the truth in love? Do you value men's judgment above God's? Do you want to avoid social embarrassment? If you're a parent, do you actually follow through when you tell your child you're going to punish them? That's justice. But we are also called to show mercy, to love mercy, to love showing it because we were not worthy and yet he died for us. And we are to be living sacrifices. So when we show mercy, are we known at work in our community as a merciful person or a judgmental person? Are we known as harsh? When's the last time you didn't follow through on punishment for your children? And told them this is an example of mercy. So we need to beware of one thing. If I could show, if you could show the next slide. Some odors, particularly if they're strong, stink. And they can be painful. Right? Some of you were thinking of that when I told you this message is about be strong in your odor. You didn't go to positive odors. Right? You were thinking about bodily odors that have a stench, cigarette smoke, a gym bag that's been closed for a while and the mother opens it up and you're like, oh, right? A garbage bin in the hot summer sun and you open it up and kind of go like this, right? Rotten eggs, a skunk hit on the road. For some of you, those things can create Nausea, headaches, it can make you physically sick. So when I want you to be strong in your odor, I don't want you to make people sick and nauseous for the gospel. Ran out that battery. Some odors can also be painful. I didn't know the students were going to be in here, but I'm going to ask you, for those of you who are in chemistry class or have done chemistry class, how do they teach you to smell a chemical in the lab? Does anybody know? You're going like this, right? The reason is that you don't take a big smell of it. You'll get too much of the chemical in your nose, and it hurts. I know this for a fact. <laughs> that was really good advice. Sometimes we have to learn things on our own. I was in college chemistry, and I went like this, and the smell of that chemical hurt so bad. My eyes started watering. I started crying. It was pain like I have never felt before. I started getting dizzy. Some strong odors stink or they're painful. So next slide is 
what are odors that make Christians reek? Because you can have a strong odor, but it's not very Christ-like. The first one, for a church like ours, we need to start with this, is racism and any other social prejudices that we have. It says in Colossians 3.11, Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And I read in Revelation that God died for all tribes and people. The Christian church has to reflect heaven, not culture and society and socioeconomic divisions and caste systems. And our church as a whole, not STBC, reflects our culture much more strongly than it reflects heaven. I told this story before. Gandhi went to a Christian assembly before he, he was a young man. He went to a Christian assembly in South Africa. And because he was not white, they would not let him in. And he said, I will never be part of a religion that excludes me based on my race. He's one of my heroes, I have to say. I know he's not a Christian. He's one of my heroes. The Christian faith lost an incredible man. And rightly so. So may we not be a church that stinks with racism and prejudice. The next one is legalism. These are in red because it's Jesus' words. In Matthew 23, it says, And then Jesus said to the crowds and the disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. You must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Legalism is setting up barriers to entering the heaven, to entering the kingdom of God that were not set up by God himself. We enter heaven by faith in Christ alone, period, done. And they were setting up burdens on people that they couldn't get into heaven. And may we never be part of that. Verse 13 said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. Slam. Do you think Gandhi heard the door slam in his face? Have some of you seen Christians slam the door of the kingdom of God in your face? May we never do that. It reeks because it smells like our culture and it smells like pride. It's not the kingdom of God. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. It smells really good. Mint and dill and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of justice and mercy and forgiveness. Micah 6.8. Justice and mercy and forgiveness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a nab and swallow a camel. I want to remind you that sometimes we as Christians sound like this to unbelievers. Jesus never sounded like this to unbelievers. He said this to the spiritual leaders of his day. If you come across with this amount of force in your argumentation and your debates with an unbeliever, you are not smelling like Christ. Next When we contend that biblical truths are just opinions, there is a God. He is omnipotent, omniscient, from beginning to end. Those are truths. And when we say they are mere opinions, then we reek. 
Jesus is a son of God. Period. Only through Jesus will you enter heaven. That is a truth. And we make it less than truth, 100% truth, we stink. But we also smell when we take our own personal opinions and make them the equivalent of biblical truths. And there are very few biblical truths that are 100% completely true based on this. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about things that might be true, but they're your opinion. They're derived from the Bible, but other devout Christians may disagree. It's great. We should be in community. We should have these conversations. That's what our huddle groups are for. That's what these conversations are for. But don't you dare say that they are the Christian view. They are influenced by many other things. So they are derived from your interpretation as well as from your gender, your age, your race, your culture, your socioeconomic status, your politics, your childhood, your education, and other factors that I couldn't think of, but you could probably fill in the spaces. They make us all biased because they're derived from this sometimes, but they're not clearly delineated. And what do I mean by that? In the realm of theology, it's things like speaking in tongues, church governance, the meaning of the sacraments, end times prophecy. You would think that the way you view those issues is going to depend on whether you get granted admittance into heaven sometimes. Politics, the role of government, are you a federalist or a state's rights? How do you view Republicans and Democrats? It may be derived from this, but I can tell you that there are devout Christians who would disagree with each view. Education, public, private, parochial, college, no college. And the hot-button topics are current events of today. Immigration, taxes, capitalism and social inequality, healthcare reform, conflict in the Middle East. I want Christians to be involved in all these areas. But as you are, please make it clear that these are, your views are derived from the Bible, influenced by your other factors, and they are not necessarily exactly how Christ would view the situation. So as I close, I want to ask, how strong is your Christian odor? First of all, you don't know. Remember that whole nose blindness thing? You don't know. So what are we going to do about that? I can't smell myself. You need to be in community with other believers. You need to participate in Sunday morning church service. Check. Got that one. Huddle groups. Be in community with people at work. Interact with people who don't look like you, who don't have the same politics as you, who view things differently, and you will come to soften your own views and respect other people. I was... uh, communicating with a brother of mine, or not recently, a while ago, where he was adamant about the whole silliness around the name of the Washington Redskins. And I I know there's a lot of football fans here. This is not about football. But he was so adamant about how stupid it was to worry about their name. And so I said, do you know any Native Americans? Have you talked to them about their view of that? And why is this such a big issue? That's not about salvation in the gospel? Why are you so worked up about that, right? You're straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. So do you have an odor? These are the same questions I asked earlier with a little more detail. 
If not, I encourage you to begin a discipline in prayer, make explicit sacrifices for God, develop relationships with those who need to know Christ, and strive to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Is prayer a part of your life? Do you pray for your enemies more than you gossip about them? Do you pray for politicians more than you complain about them? Do you pray for your boss, your teacher, your supervisor, or any other official more than you vent about them? I just need to vent. You need to pray. Are you sacrificing for God through your finances, your time, commitments, passions? Are you spending time in relationships? Are you praying and spending time with others who have a different view than you do? Are you acting with justice towards all? Do you call out fellow Christians who are identified with an ideology, a political party, a mission, or an agenda more than with Christ? Do you challenge Christians who spend more time talking about their professions than they do about Christ? Or maybe more time talking about their property, their vacations, their sports teams, their appearance, their clothes, their hobbies, or their first world problems more than they talk about Christ and his work in this world? Do you call out friends who are too negative about society? We are saved. We have the answer. The war is over. It's something to be happy about. (laughs) Do you love showing mercy when you're with your friends in your in-group? Among those who are like-minded, do you speak out on behalf of sinners knowing that you could be right where that sinner is if it weren't for the grace of God? When they speak prejudice and racism, do you call them on it? For the students that are here, when you see someone being bullied, someone treating badly, do you speak out on their behalf? The way we solve gossip and bullying is not by addressing the person who's being bullied or gossiped about. It isn't even addressing the person who's doing the bullying or gossiping. It's everyone else around them who needs to stand up and speak for justice. Are you walking humbly? As I've read through these questions, were you thinking more about someone else than you were of yourself? That's a sign of pride. How do you view yourself when you're around someone of a different race, someone of a different gender, someone with a different job that works beside you? How do you view yourself when you're around people who smell bad? Are you around them enough? Are you around sinners enough for them to smell Christ on you? When you smell like death to the perishing, remember that whole thing back there? I'm going to speak the truth. I want to smell like death to those that are perishing. First of all, we don't know who's perishing and which who's God's saving, so I would just err on the side of smelling fragrantly to people. But when you smell like death, when you're in an argumentation and the person walks away and you've won the argument, are you rejoicing that you won the argument or are you weeping for their souls because they're lost? Do you smell like Christ? Do you have an odor like that coffee smell in that restaurant in Ethiopia that wants people to be hungry for Christ, to know what's in us, and to share? Do you engender passions in people because they see how passionate you are for Christ and they want to get to know you? 
what's your fragrance like on behalf of Christ? So over the next week, I challenge you, if you see somebody from church, ask them how they're smelling. (laughs) It'll be a joke just between you and I, okay? I had a friend, a really, really good friend in high school who... um, went through a divorce after we were in college and we sort of uh, parted ways in college, but he was a really good friend of mine. He went through a divorce and several years later he was telling him about it being the most difficult time in his life. And he said to me, or I said to him, man, I really wish we had had a chance to talk and I could have walked with you. And he said, I was scared you would judge me because I knew you thought divorce was a sin and I didn't want to be judged. I want to be the kind of Christian who can be like Christ in fellowship with Christians. They wanted to be with him. They knew he wasn't going to sacrifice his views, but they still wanted to be with him. I want so much to be a Christian like that. That's a beautiful smell to God. Hopefully, if you're like me, I've taken you to a point that you can't get to by yourself. Right. When God has brought us to a point where we can't see the next step from our own trying and efforts and intellect, he has us right where he wants us. I'm going to close with reading Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, if you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act. Of Jesus. And I thank God for giving gifts to the body, like those who have the gift of teaching, like our own Elder Tyler Rhyme Chisel. go to restaurants and you want a good meal you also want to make sure that the chef and the cooks in the back have clean hands and using clean utensils so that what comes out to you is not contaminated or infected with stuff and you gave us a good meal because God kept you in the kitchen week and it's evident that you were a part of that message it was just not something from your head it was him working in you and through you so thank you for making yourself available to give us a good meal today I submit to my elders it's humbling that I lead them but they also lead me and it's great to come under your covering Pastor Darrell last week, Elder Clifton will be sharing next week. So thank God for the gifts that he gives to this body, to the church, to Strong Tower. And I stand before you today with God's blessing. But it would bless my heart if I had your blessing as well. God is lovingly and gently calling me to a season of rest. You see, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He is making me to lie down in green pastures. 
He is leading me beside the still waters. He is restoring my soul and he is anointing my head with fresh oil. I am not proud of the fact that in 20 years of being the pastor of Strong Tower Bible Church, I have taken only one four-week sabbatical. In 20 years, I have taken only one four-week sabbatical. Many of my mentors and colleagues take a one-month sabbatical every year. Others take a three-month sabbatical every five years. Knowing that I needed to rest, I planned last year to take a sabbatical in the month of August. But August came and went without me taking a sabbatical. If you recall, the church was still in the midst of swift transition. We had to raise money, repair our balcony, and renovate our sanctuary. We also had to adjust to significant membership and staff changes along the way. It would have been irresponsible for me to step away in August. We also know that for the past five years, I've taken the responsibilities of being the church's senior pastor and its executive pastor. This strenuous combination coupled with being in a rigorous three-year doctoral program and the church moving multiple times has left me extremely fatigued. But now that the church's renovation is complete, our student director is in place. Administrative volunteers are helping out. My schooling is done, hallelujah. And our midweek huddle groups have launched. The elders and I believe that this is the best time for me to take a much-needed sabbatical. We decided that I should take some time off during the upcoming holiday season to recharge my mind, my body, and my spirit. During this break, I plan to simply read and rest at home. To have my emotional cup filled I also plan on visiting my family in Baltimore, my son in Lynchburg. Last week, I saw my daughter in New York. We're also going to see my wife's family in Portsmouth. And to help me heal from some of the emotional wounds and traumas I've encountered over the years, I have enlisted the help of a professional Christian therapist, generalized anxiety disorder also known as GAD, is unfortunately prevalent amongst pastors. And due to my specific calling, I have also experienced what is known as racial battle fatigue. Yes, this recent season has been a strain on my family and I, but it has also been quite demanding on my staff and on all of you as a whole. This is why I commend you for being strong in the Lord and for enduring hardship as good soldiers of Christ. I applaud you for your commitment to continue adhering to the vision of this house, which is to experience, explain, and expand God's diverse kingdom in the city and throughout the world. We must be encouraged to know that God is using all of this pressure for his purpose. 
Job 23.10 says, But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. As God challenged Jeremiah, he is likewise calling me to run with the horses and not just with the footmen. Greater things are yet to come and greater works are still to be done in this city. And because of that, we all have to be strong. And for me, I have to be strong by surrendering to the Lord and resting. When reading the Psalms, there's a little word called Selah. And that little word has a big meaning. Selah means to pause, to stop, to think, to reflect, to rest. It's a musical note. In Psalm 139, verse 16, God has written a book on each one of us. And as far as his book for me, I do believe that this is the season that on this particular page that I find myself in this particular paragraph, he has put the words Selah. There's still so much more that he's writing, that he is unfolding, that I'm walking in my faith. But right now he has just put Selah. And sometimes when I read the Bible, I run right by Selah. Because I want to get to the meat. I want to get to the next thing. And Selah sometimes is off to the corner. And as you're reading the Psalms, you're just reading and you miss Selah. You miss the call to pause, to stop, to think, to reflect, to breathe, to rest. And so right now, the author and the finisher of my faith is saying to Chris, pause, stop, reflect. Rest. I use you, but I don't need you. This is my church. These are my people. And you're no good to them if you're not good to me. And good for yourself. And good for your family. So you need to rest. So this is my moment to pause. I believe that if I do not rest now, it will hinder my ability to lead this church in the future. And as I mentioned, I have God's blessing to rest. But what I would like to know is, do I have Strong Tower Bible Church's blessing to take a rest? I'll tell you, I don't want to rest. I don't want to come out of the game. But in order for me to get some of these nicks healed up and to catch my breath, I need to come out of the game. I can't be a ball hog or a pulpit hog or a leader hog. I got to recognize that there are more people who have gifts that need to develop, that we are a team. We all need to rest sometime, including uh, me, 
the pastor. So and since I have your blessing to rest, I know there will not be a drop off in our attendance. Amen. Most pastors are afraid of sabbaticals because they know that there will be a dip in the offering. But I believe that's not going to happen here. I know there will not be a decrease in our spiritual enthusiasm because we come here to see Jesus and to hear from Jesus. And if he can use a donkey to communicate his word, not that any of the preachers coming up are donkeys, but he can use anybody to lead us. So I expect for you to be excited about what Jesus is doing in and through Strong Tower for such a time as this. So Elder Aubrey, would you come and pray for us? heard it so frequently sometimes obedience is better than sacrifice with that in mind pastor we say thank God for your obedience your obedience we thank God for what you've done and what you're doing we even thank God for the example you're setting before his children that sometimes we need a break and it's okay. I thank God that he's equipped this church with men and women and boys and girls who love God, and you have to hear this now, that love God even more than they love Pastor Chris. Because it is their commitment to God that's really going to make the real difference. The difference in praying for him daily, every minute he's away from this place, they're going to be praying for you. When they don't feel like going, they're going to say, no, no, no. I'm not going to let it be said of me. I'm not, I'm not there because the pastor is not there. That's the commitment they have to God. And I thank God first and foremost for you. So if you would permit me, pastor, if you would stand right there with Doreen and the baby girl, come up. Elders, if you would be kind enough to just come up for a minute, please. Father God, first and foremost, we want to thank you for our pastor and we thank you for the family. Lord God, even as we bow our heads now, God, we lift up spirits with great joy of you calling your son to a time of pause. You have us, almighty God, exactly where you want us to be at this very moment. And we're thanking you in advance, oh Lord, for everything you're going to do in his life right now. Father God, you're going to call them to a place of peace, Almighty God, a place of joy, knowing all is well. 
ease his anxiety, Almighty God, of what might be happening or what is happening in this place. Give him faith, confidence, and reassurance, Almighty God, that all is well. Not because of the men he left here, Almighty God, but because of you. Help us to know and believe in every aspect of our lives that we are just one branch of Zion that you've set apart, Almighty God, to do a work that would glorify you and you alone. And now, even in this very hour, Almighty God, we thank you and we praise you. We praise you, Almighty God, that we will continue to glorify you in everything that we're doing, not just on Sundays and not just on Wednesday, but Almighty God, we will begin to create and strengthen, Almighty God, our odor for you. We thank you for this time, Almighty God. We thank you for your people, Almighty God, who's wondering, who potentially might be worried. Oh, Lord God, I pray even right now that you let their hearts and their minds be at rest and be at peace. Help them to know, Almighty God, that you are still on the throne. You are still in charge. You are still God. And we're still your children. Help us to do the work, Almighty God, that has been commanded to our hands Help us to focus on it more diligently in this hour. Heavenly Father, help us to be a beacon into this community. Lord God, we thank you and we praise you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Lord God, I pray even right now as we dismiss, dismiss ourselves from this congregation physically, that our hearts and minds, Almighty God, would be steadfast for one another in prayer and supplication, Almighty God. We would understand and know each other's need. And we will be vessels, Almighty God, that whereby those needs can and will be met. We just glorify you for all that you're doing, all that you've done, and all that you're going to do. Now, Almighty God, we give thanks to you in the name of your son, Jesus, who loved us so much, Almighty God, that he's willingly gave his life that we may have a right to eternal life. In his name, we do praise you and we thank you. Amen, amen, and amen.